are back. This is a very special edition of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. I am Dan Nathan. Um, Guy Adami taking the day off. He did a lot of heavy lifting. I was gone for most of the week, so we really appreciated that. We have a very special group here. You know our friend, Danny Moses. He is our co-host of On the Tape. We also have Jim Chanos. He is the founder, president of Chanos and Company. Uh, he is at Wall Street Cynic on the Twitter. Check him out. You probably already followed Jim. So thank you guys uh, very much for being here today on a Friday afternoon. I got to tell you, um, you know, we, we obviously talk a lot offline here a little bit. We really wanted to get Jim's take um, on what's gone on. This is probably a very busy week for you, Jim. I know that you started the week with a letter to um, investors in Chanos and co talking about just kind of what you're seeing as far as this crisis, how it's unfolding and how you would compare it to some different periods um, in the past. Um, I think you put a fine point on something. You don't think this is systemic. Love to just give us hear your take on what you think is going on here. Forget kind of like kind of the, you know, we're not going to debate the semantics of a bailout or not. Where are we right now here? Because it's Friday afternoon. We have the S&P down. We have the NASDAQ up. We have some regional banks seeking, uh, sinking. We have some European banks sinking. We have some of the largest kind of custody uh, custodians in the uh, brokerage business that also have banks trading very poorly on a Friday afternoon. And it really feels like it harkens back to some prior periods where maybe investors weren't really seeing what's in front of them right here or, or really taking a look under, under the hood, what lies beneath. Put some context into what's going on in the last two weeks. You've kind of traded through um, all the major crises of the last few decades here. <laughs> well, hi, guys, and thanks. And I guess that's a that's a nice way of saying you're old, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, so we put we put out a, a brief a brief memo on Monday night, just um, trying to, to organize our thoughts and the way we looked at what happened to Silicon Valley uh, over the weekend and the the the, the uh, contagion that that occurred on Thursday Friday of last week and over the weekend into Monday, and it it really. Uh, it really kind of struck us on, on how much it looked like what happened in late 94 uh, in the Orange County crisis. And again, in uh, in the late summer of 1998, the LTCM crisis, where you had, in effect, highly leveraged players who had got, bought long duration bonds, because remember that really was the problem at Silicon Valley and to a lesser extent, um, um, FRC um, and and uh, I think Republic Bank and and I think that uh, they were caught off sides right they they had basically lent long and borrowed short they funded themselves with low cost or no cost deposits and and the market finally woke up to what was apparent to a lot of people from last summer of just the the mark to market losses that were occurring at these institutions that was kind of uh, masked by the, the, the use of held so-called held to maturity accounting, which by the way, came in after the global financial crisis as a, as a way to stop the bleeding back then for derivatives uh, uh, securities that uh, they, the banks didn't want to mark to market anymore. And so again, kind of be, be careful what you wish for, right? And, and so uh, with the proviso that never underestimate the ability of the government to screw things up. I mean, our view is that this is not a credit transmission device. Uh, I think this is really a, a funding problem at a select number of banks 
that just simply mismanaged Banking 101, which is to try to at least meaningfully match your asset liability durations um, and not stretch for yield and finance it overnight at 0%. And and because at the end of the day, if we know, if you remember what sunk the investment banks in 08, and I know Danny does, it's because they ended up with a whole bunch of toxic, hard to market, hard to value securities at the bottom of their balance sheets financed in the basically overnight repo market. And, and, and that's just, you can't do that. And, and we found out that the hard way again, this go around. So um, now having said that, the regional banks are now under scrutiny, have another longer term problem. And that is, as we've discussed sometimes in the past, their reliance on commercial real estate. And, and the credit event that, that's in the future is in commercial real estate, um, probably not long-term bonds at this point. Yeah, I mean, I can follow on, Dan, here, is that I worked at MBIA, actually, during the Orange County debacle. Um, I got to meet the long-term capital people after they left Solomon to set up shop. I was in their private room, and my <laughs> soul was running around. Um, and every kind of blow up is different, but they all kind of go back to the same thing. Bad risk management and not having right. the ability to have permanent capital. And this is a combination of all of that with the banks. Obviously, there's no permanent capital. If people make a run on deposits um, in 1998, you know, from a margin call perspective, long term capital got over their skis. It took one currency to go against them. Orange County was a county commissioner uh, who got sold um, uh, swaps on interest rate swaps from Merrill Lynch and blew himself up and some are contagion and some are not. And in this case, Jim makes the most important point, which is beyond all of this, beyond these were the easy things. Treasuries and mortgage backed securities are effectively guaranteed by the government. If you feel safe with that, great. But beyond that, you're not bailing out commercial real estate and you're already seeing defaults that are occurring. I mean, this, yeah. this began with Blackstone REIT. I've said this all week, so I feel like a broken record here and Starwood back in the fall. The only difference in their issue and run on deposits is they gated to 5% Per quarter or it would have been a massive run and brookfield and pimco defaulted on billions of dollars of commercial real estate here recently in the office property market so those are the things to me and the last thing i'll say is that as a result of all of this with the scrutiny coming on the regional banks and people finally reading q's and k's and the big banks are about to get bigger and that's the worst case scenario from a regular you know regulators perspective so it's a near-term band-aid and you feel good about it but again that'll have ramifications well, down the line that, well that listen guys th that's the thing that i think we have to focus on here if you're watching this if you're listening to this right now okay and, and you know jim just mentioned long-term capital this was in 1998 and 1998 was in the middle of a epic bull market right the s p 500 from 95 to 2000 literally averaged 30% gains a year, okay? And we had the Asia debt crisis. We had long-term capital. We had a lot of stuff that was thrown at it. And I, I know, Jim, you're going to talk about where um, interest rates were, where inflation was, like all that sort of stuff. And I want to get to that. But when I think about, you know, the idea of this not being systemic, and I'm not trying to say that there's something here, like there's something evil that lies beneath, but look at what's happened, right? So we started the week with SVB going to zero, all right? And we could be ending the week, right, with FRC, First Republic, you know, going to near zero, okay? And that's after it already had its explicit guarantee and its bank bailout from a consortium, that sort of thing. And I look around and obviously credit 
Suisse. And full disclosure, I've been a, um, an advisor to Credit Suisse um, over the last six and a half years to their investment bank. None of the stuff that's gone on um, with this. Well, this is their technology investment banking group. But obviously, you see the headlines there. So there's some issues with European banks. And then when you look at what's going on with Schwab, okay? And Danny, you and I talked about this. We started the, the, the week talking about this. And we'll get into that. But don't tell me for a second, guys. And I'd love to tell me, I'd love for you guys to tell me why I'm wrong that Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America don't have some similar sorts of duration issues that some of these regionals have because at every crisis that we have seen, there have been very few that have been immune to the one problem that usually gets us focused on, right, calling whatever it is a crisis. So, Jim, I'd love to get your take on that because at some point, I really feel like we're dealing with the things that we can deal with right now that were most acute, that were kind of most obvious to the system, but there has to be some issues at some of the larger banking institutions and you tell me whether their balance sheets are just big enough that it's not going to be the sort of thing that bubbles up i just feel like what comes out in the next couple of months are going to be disclosures from those those sorts of institutions why are they not gobbling up these banks did they learn the lesson of not buying a countrywide in 07 right when it looked like it was a flex and that's what i want to get to on this and that might also lead us to some of the issues that you think are going to happen or unfold in commercial real estate well Okay, so look, you can have a banking system that functions uh, by by government direction and fiat um, that that trades at you know twenty percent of book value. I know a country in Asia where that's the case. They're the largest banks in the world. They all trade at at, at you know a quarter of their book value in China because you know no one trusts the assets, but the government explicitly and implicitly stands behind the deposits. That's what you have with the major money center banks. That's what you have with the Canadian banking system. That's what you have with lots of banking systems. You have quasi-nationalized banking systems in most of the developed world. This isn't a surprise to us anymore. What we have is also a fairly robust regional banking system, right? That's, that's unusual in all of the developed world, right? The rest of the developed world doesn't have regional banks for the most part. Um, it really, that's a U.S. phenomenon. And so, you know, that we have to understand the bifurcated nature of our banking system. Um, and, and that this whole idea of uninsured deposits, insured deposits is kind of ridiculous at this point in time. Um, but it's, it's uniquely American. It's kind of why we don't have national health insurance. I mean, to, 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 to push a, a point and not to be political, rest of the world has figured out you, you give major medical to every citizen and you you tax it for them and and in our system we don't believe in that so we've got this kind of jerry-rigged system of regional banks and are they guaranteed are they not guaranteed well they're guaranteed in a crisis but not otherwise and i mean it's really kind of silly um now that's that's our reality and so we'll have to deal with it i'm much more worried to your point about future credit problems than I am mismatch problems. Yeah. And, and so that's, and, and you mentioned when you talked about commercial real estate, I mean, part of the problem of the last 13 or 14 years of zero interest rate policies and QE is that we have all kinds of business models and assets that are based on really perpetually low interest rates, whether it's commercial real estate, Commercial real estate is a, is a stream of cash flows. 
right, financed at a certain cap rate. Um, you know, whether it, it, it's the ABS market, whether it's car loans, uh, leases, solar panels, what, what have you. And everybody built into their models that interest rates would stay low for almost forever. And we're getting to see that that's not the case. And I think it's going to expose a lot of other flawed businesses beyond regional banks that people should be mindful of um, in their portfolios. Well, you, you guys have been pointing that out. I know that, uh, Jim, you in particular, and obviously Danny and Vidi and Porter over there at Seawolf and our listeners, our viewers have had the benefit of that. But Danny, when I look at just the way that our major money center banks are trading right now, this Friday afternoon across the board from JP Morgan down three and a third percent to, um, you know, Bank America, Wells Fargo City, you know, down about the same here. And, you know, it just feels like investors right now want to shoot first, ask questions later in anything that's kind of banking related. And I'm just curious, what, what does that mean but to you? But Danny, Dan, they're doing it on both sides, right? It's they're, they're buying Coinbase, which is a money losing, you know, crypto broker. Right. Um, but but and, but and, 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 but in market cap terms, like if all the morons want to if they want to kind of crowd into a 15 billion dollar market cap game that we know that, you yeah. know, finally we've been in the the biggest inflationary period. Right. In, in 40 or 50 years. And crypto didn't work. Crypto didn't work. Right. Until we had a little banking crisis here. And we know that that's going to go the opposite way. So, like, to me, I always kind of think about it in those sorts of terms. I don't think serious investors are buying Coinbase or buying Bitcoin right now. I just do not. I don't think that they think it's a safe haven the way Danny and Guy have been all over gold. And you guys nailed that, you know, when it got down to what, what, like just below 170. But Danny, what, what does it mean to you on a Friday afternoon to see a Schwab down 5% after the move that it's had over the last month? And then the continuation of the move in the large money centers. I mean, is it kind of got your antennas up here a little bit? Um, because I think the way a lot of investors are looking at the broad market right here. They're not particularly too worried with the VIX here at 25. Let me go back and address the word uh, systemic because I think it scares people. But let's be clear. We never cleared the market correctly in 2008. We put in a lot of different programs that absorbed into the governance balance sheet and extended you know, losses over a long period of time. What is systemic right now is the impact that higher rates, as Jim mentioned, will have on the entire economy, specifically I think on the banking sector, and the reason these banks are down is because they trade on net interest margin and their cost of capital is going to move higher. They're going to have to pay the price to the FDIC, whoever for this. But with that, and Jim's point about the ABS market, when you start to have to charge more to your clients or pulling warehouse lines, let's keep in mind what caused the crisis in 2008 was going to end eventually. It ended actually in 2006, the market it just took the market a year to figure it out, was the big banks started to pull the warehouse lines from these mortgage lenders because they had backed up into the system and they were unable, Wall Street was unable to keep packaging these mortgages and sell them and the whole system came to a crop. Now that was a credit issue. People are taking comfort in the fact that this is quote, not a credit issue. This is a duration issue, right? That can be settled over a period of years. So people take a deep breath there. But I really think it's important to focus on is the non-guaranteed type things that banks have. The commercial real estate, which Jim is talking about, which is systemic. And it is systemic because we no one has plugged in. Let me just say this. The same way that, that in 2005 and six, when we figured out that the rating agencies, and they're fantastic, by the way, never had down home prices in their model. So there was never an instance where home, price, home prices were not appreciating or at least staying flat. That made that model work. Same thing here. 
put 5% rates in, put four, put 6% rates in. At Jim's point, rates were much higher back in the early 90s, potentially, the causes. So that's systemic in the sense of what higher rates will do to this economy. So Dan, these big banks are now going to be bailing out the regionals. They're going to morph kind of into each other over a period of time, and they won't be able potentially to do all the trading on the risk-weighted assets they want to do. Historically, the Goldman and Morgan Stanley make money on a proprietary basis. If all that gets curled in, you're buying you know, less ROE earning company, right? You can talk about book value. They can still make money. That's not cataclysmic. And I'm not worried about the big banks, but I think I'll end with this on this, on this rant here is that if you're trading the market on S&P earnings, and I don't care if your numbers for 2023 is 200, 210, 220, or 230, you just took one of the bigger sectors of the S&P 500. It's not small, the financials, and you basically guarantee the earnings are going to go down. That's without question. But more importantly, they're so connected because it's such a financialized economy and market to all the other things I just mentioned of how they lend out. And that has a follow on effect. So what I'm saying, Dan, I think we just yes, we pulled forward the Fed being done. Yay. Let's celebrate. But we also what I think pulled forward the absolute, you know, uh, nail in the coffin that earnings are going lower. And so how do you trade that? You know, and how? so this is going to be a real Great time, I think, to make money on the long and short side. And I think people just don't know what they so do. So you mean know. long puts, right? So um, on the long side. Hey, but but Jim, but Jim, doesn't this, I mean, you know, listen, I look at this and, and I see how gingerly the major banks have acted relative to, let's say, at, you know, 2008. And, and, and again, it was pretty striking that it's 15 years basically to the week when J.P. Morgan got the guarantee. They bought Bear Stearns. The S&P rallied 15 percent, OK, into like its highs in May. All right. And, and people thought that this was something like of a one off. And the only thing that I know in my 25 years in the business, and I guess I'm kind of old, too, here, um, is that there's no one offs, especially when it comes to financial companies in a way. And I think, you know, as I was sitting back and looking at what the Fed and the FDIC and the Treasury and the White House, what they said and what they did only makes our financial system that much more unstable in the future. And, and so I'm curious your take on that, because I think these banks are going to look like massive regulated, you know, sort of utilities in a way. And so to me, I think they should be going much lower, in my opinion. And that's the sort of thing. That's a lack of confidence that could kind of be the bridge to those sorts of credit events as they have to pull back risk taking. And so I'm just curious your take on that, because there's no way the market can rally another 10, 15 percent. And the same morons who are calling for a new bull market and the start of February are going to be saying the same crap, okay? But I'm just telling you, I think it's very different this time. And I'm just curious, and I'm not trying to get people sort of freaked out a little bit here. It just feels like it's the same playbook where the people who are predetermined to be permabulls are going to look at this and they're not going to see the forest for the trees. So is there a question there? Help me here, brother. Come on. Like, I'm just saying, like, but like, I just, I just feel like that, that, that. Look at the NASDAQ today. Look at Microsoft up one and a half percent, Google up one and a half percent, and some of this stuff. And it's keeping the, the NASDAQ. And I know there's an MSI, uh, MSCI rebalance here or whatever. I think the NASDAQ looks like the fattest pitch in the market right here to sell this for all the reasons that Danny just mentioned and you mentioned about well, SP uh, earnings right now. Well, uh, I'll, 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 I'll put it on the other foot. I, if you believe, and as I said, we have three we have three pillars of this market again. Inflation's coming back down to two to three. Uh, the Fed will be cutting rates, 
very soon, and, and earnings are, are going to be very strong. Um, if you thought inflation was coming down to 2 to 3%, why would you be buying the 10-year at 3% or 35 um, and, and this is the only reason you would is because you believe we're going back to a QE ZERP you know, uh, uh, mindset. That's the one thing I don't think is happening. And so that that is the fact that the inflation genie came out of the bottle in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 is a sea change that I think investors are underestimating. And the fact that that now there is a consequence to endless money printing and, and fiscal deficits because we're seeing it. And with onshoring and lots of other issues that, that have moved us away from globalization, then I think that that the entire playbook of the last 40 years, truly, if you really want to be you know macro bearish, the entire playbook of the last 40 years has to be read from from in reverse. And and that that rates will will fluctuate but go higher. Um, inflation will be hard to contain. Uh, deficits will be increased. Labor will will become much more powerful relative to capital. If you believe those things, and I do believe those things, then I think you're looking, as, as Danny says, in an environment where you're going to have to be nimble on both sides of the market. And as opposed to just basically playing with beta, you're going to really need to generate alpha. And and that's that's a skill set that, you know, a lot of people have left behind years ago. Yeah, you know, Danny, it's interesting that you just, um, you know, and we've been talking about this on the pod for a very long time. And, and and again, I've said this on many occasions. In the summer of 2021, you talked about a stagflationary environment and what it would mean for risk assets. I think you were one of the first out there talking about it. Um, and I think that's really interesting what Jim just said about the reversal of 40 or 50 years of globalization. And, and you know, I don't know if you guys saw this um, tweet from Ro Khanna. Um, who's the congressman um, from Silicon Valley who is urging um, a bailout of the banks. This was this morning. Offshoring is a race to the bottom. It hurts American workers and our communities. Not only are jobs being shipped overseas, but companies are also avoiding taxes. We need to uh, invent it, make it, and buy it here in America. Well, here's the thing, man. You do that with all the incentives that you have and all of these subsidies that have been introduced in the IRA and the CHIPS Act and all that sort of stuff, and we start bringing back jobs quickly, right, at a time where we know what's happened to unemployment and wage growth, I mean, that could be one of the most inflationary things that would happen. I think you're speaking to that, um, Jim, a little bit here. So um, to me, I, I actually think that some of these lawmakers who don't really seem to have their finger on the pulse all the time need to kind of take a step back here um, a little bit, especially when they're the ones who are kind of clamoring for um, this sort of bailout. Um, Danny, I'm, I'm just curious, like when you look around the market today, this week in general, and you see some of the areas that are acting well, energy, crude oil in particular, is speaking to what I think is um, you know, a, a weaker economy going forward. If you look at some of the transports, if you look at the flooding to, let's call it, you know, like I, I don't know if Jacob can pull up this Apple chart. If you took, you know, this this the date in which we are and the market that we're in, and you put that chart up there, this is one of the best looking charts in the market. I'm just saying it's it's a beautiful kind of looking chart. Look at that thing, right? It, it's making a nice little flag there. It's had that big rally back or whatever. But if you think about like the environment that we 
I think collectively think we're going to be from an economic standpoint. Some of these stocks don't make any sense at these valuations, especially if we're going to have inflation stick around and be pesky and persistent, as Guy calls it, um, and then also slower growth. Talk to me a little bit of some other areas in the market away from uh, financials and banks in particular, Danny, where you'd be focused. Well, I think more importantly, I just want to say you can't unwind, you know, all these years of free money in a year. And to Jim's point, you know, undoing 40 years of this stuff is a whole nother thing. And globalization coming back to our, you know, our shores, um, there's a lot of positives to that. But the point is that it's hard to see inflation coming down in that. And it's hard to see margins not contracting as a result of that. But I think I'm not upset with people that that are bullish, really, because they either haven't lived through these cycles or don't understand it. Um, So there's plenty of sectors potentially within the industrials, let's say, of and small and mid cap companies that have pricing power, right? That obviously can pass on some of these increased costs of wages and so forth. And, you know, this is about the white collar worker potentially from an unemployment perspective and everything's been kind of backwards or disorganized as far as this cycle, right? The rolling recession, rich session, whatever you want to call it. And so the job losses we're seeing right now are really in the higher income brackets, middle to higher income brackets. And that has a tag on effect, Dan, in consumer discretionary, which yeah. drives our entire economy. I'm happy for people that are making more money that have a trade that, you know, this country was really built on. And that's a huge positive. So I understand a local congressman or woman in their jurisdiction praising a plant coming in because they're not their jobs not to think about the stock market. Their job, But the point is here, we have a lot of things happening at the same time. And so, again, I will say this. I think there will be great opportunities potentially yeah. in this market, you know, on the long side when it does. But we're in, in real time here, we're, we're flying a plane and there's a wing that needs repair while you're literally in the air here. And listen, people are paid in the long only community to outperform their indice by choosing a sector to overweight or underweight. So let's you know, that's how they're paid. Hedge funds are paid on absolute return and that's how how they make their money. And and so everybody has a different kind of, a, you know, you know, incentive here. But I think the one thing that is lost is that is that the, there's been no stock picking going on. And the the advent of passive has gotten to such a point where people disassociate or kind of associate, they take the clues, Dan, that you just made from the market. And if the market rallies, they let they let that determine if things are okay versus looking at it and saying, why would it rally? And so yeah. that's it. And, yeah. and I would look just- at Silicon, Danny, look at Silicon Valley Bank as a great example. <clears throat> it was very clear from their financial statements starting in the second quarter, <clears throat> excuse me, of last year, that their bond portfolio was so underwater that it was exceeded tangible equity. Now we've known that since the summer of last year, it's been talked about. It, it in in our fund, we got short Silicon Valley in January and got our faces ripped off uh, because the company reported quote unquote good earnings as the portfolio deteriorated more for the fourth quarter, and the stock went from 250 to 320, and and. And the entire time, what ultimately sunk that bank was was getting worse. And it wasn't an, until the company itself quite literally said, we need to raise capital and then couldn't do so and screwed up, you know, in eight different ways to Friday last week, um, that, that anything that be, was apparent to anybody who could read a balance sheet mattered. And then it mattered in two days. What does that tell you? Um, uh, it, 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 I mean, I, I keep joking. Efficient markets? Question mark. I mean, yeah. it, this is this is insanity to me that that stock was trading at 
130 to 140 percent of ten of, of stated book value, tangible book value was was negative uh, on a mark to market basis. But uh, it was trading at 130 to 140 percent. Book value was two hundred dollars, and it collapsed from I think 260, right, 250, whatever. And 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 everything that was apparent that sunk that bank last Thursday and Friday was apparent since last July. Yeah. But Jim, doesn't that speak to the fact that, you know, if, if you're, if, if you kind of feel like we're at the later innings of this crisis, and I know you don't feel that and, and Danny doesn't feel that, but there's some out there that does, it, it just doesn't speak to the fact that, I mean, we're going to have many more bank failures and there's maybe not going to be many as large as let's say Silicon Valley bank, but look what's going on with Schwab. I mean, it's Friday afternoon, it's one thirty. The stock was just down 4%. It's rallying a little bit. They just put out um, a, a press release, Schwab confident in approach. Schwab says it got uh, about 16 and a half billion in core net new assets for the week. And so when you think about what's going on there, this is so reminiscent. And this is not even summer of 08 or September of 08. This is still the stuff that was going on in March of April of 08. And, and I know it's almost too easy of a comparison, but where does this go next here a little bit? Because to me, I'm just going to say it again. I think this stuff, I think correlations are going to go much higher. I think you're seeing like a little bit of this, you know, flight to stability and some of these other names. Um, but I think, again, I'm just going to say this. I think like the NASDAQ, I think it's a fat pitch here. Um, and maybe we go a little bit higher here, but I think it comes in. What, what, what's, what's next in the next week or two or three? Um, are we likely to see a couple more um, backstops of some big financial institutions? And does it give market participants more or less confidence in your opinion? So uh, let me take a stab at that first. I don't know that there's going to be a lot more bank failures, Dan, but what I will tell you and what you should avoid in your portfolio is anybody dependent upon third-party financing to keep the lights on. I think that's going to be a big problem for the coming weeks and months. So if you have a business model that's dependent on Wall Street securitizations or selling assets, uh, if you're a real estate guy or, or you know a REIT, or whatever have you, if you are dependent upon that, you're going to have a problem because spreads are going to widen out for those kinds of business models, at least for the foreseeable future. And anybody that's that's you know got a huge multiple or depending on you know three and four and five percent cap rates in real estate or what have you, I think is in for a rude awakening. And a lot of those companies and, and business models are heavily leveraged and, and just like a bank. And so I, I would I would avoid like the plague anything that fits that definition. Danny, yeah, what, Dan, do you, I'll what, just, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, we have a lot coming up, right? We have the Fed next week, so we'll see how strong Powell's going to be, and you know if he's going to be hawkish or not. Um, you may talk a big game, and then they may go twenty five basis points, but we'll see. Um, I think we're basically done raising rates, which is not necessarily a good thing because Dan, to the point you made, it almost you know the stagflationary environment potentially pulls itself forward as a result of that, of not curtailing or trying to contain inflation. The lag effects of all the rate hikes are, you know, are hitting now, obviously. And then you're going to go into bank earnings. And I think you're going to see in the first two weeks of April, whether they wait for their actual earnings date or do something sooner. I don't think from a big bank perspective, yes, you'll have the warm and fuzzies. But I think from the stuff they're going to say about the curtailing of lending and cost of capital, and we're examining this and that, they have no choice but to be that to do that because they're really getting the purview now of the regulators again, for better or for worse. And so, 
listen, I, I just think we're going to be in a, a very difficult environment here. And I, I try to maintain balance here. But when I, you know, once you see the end of the world in 2008, and I, I laugh because it's uncomfortable, once you've seen that, there's, there's scar tissue there. And when you go into this debt ceiling negotiation, which let's not kid ourselves, that's in the backdrop here. And that's not the forefront. And yes, it might be solved. But when all those things are adding up, and if you analyze the U.S. balance sheet as its own company, USA Incorporated and looked at it, that stock would not trade well on its own, given it, its debt to equity and so forth. And so I just worry that we're not going to have a very positive macro or micro environment here you know, for a while. Listen, there's always things to own, but don't kid yourself. We're going to have news every day about a bank, big or small, into the Fed next week and then soon after that. So this yeah, isn't so going away anymore. Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. Um, and I think you bring up a great point. Once we get by the Fed, it really is all about this debt ceiling. And, you know, um, you know, when you think about the job that Kevin McCarthy has to do, it's a near impossibility because um, there's a handful of people in his own party who are going to try to extract amazing concessions, right, at a time where they know that, like, this has to get done because you can't backstop every bank in America to the tunes of trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of deposits if there's a worry that the government is going to default on their debt. And that is going to happen. That's coming to a theater near you. I just say this, Jim, and, and you know, uh, and, and we'll get out of here. We really, really appreciate your time here. But when you think about what Danny just mentioned, that these bank earnings are going to start in mid-April, uh, and it's going to be, you know, within a, a month or so, look at like an American Express. And Danny used the term risk rich session. It went from $155 into its earnings, into its Q4 earnings when it reported to $180. And look, at it's given it all back, right? And just, just the last week and a half or so. And when you think about what these banks have to say, and obviously that's not a bank, um, but into their prints, I mean, this is going to be a really dicey time because the last thing you want to do is be on the hook for not being as transparent as you should be, especially when you know all of the conversations that are happening with the feds, with, you know, all, all these bank CEOs are going to be down in Washington over the next few weeks in and out. And they're going to have to be really honest about all this stuff. There's one other difference that I, I should point out before we leave that I think the markets haven't appreciated yet. And that is, um, for the most part, um, big business, big banks could depend on, on, on a pretty, pretty sympathetic hearing from one party down in Washington um, to carry their water. And often both parties. That has now changed. Um, the political uh, environment has become much more populist and and anti-corporate on both in both parties and i i think that that's something that i don't think market uh, participants appreciate as much as they should uh is just uh, you I, I don't know if you saw yellen getting grilled yesterday but uh but but the fact of the matter is is that there's now a, a fair amount of, of, of politicians in both parties that are not just predisposed to help the corporate and help the, the corporate financial sector like they used to. And that is something investors should consider. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one, one last thing here. I mean, 
You know, we came into this year and, and Jim, you mentioned this kind of January rally into February, and then it kind of turned over a little bit. And and a lot of the things that people, for whatever reason, in cognitive dissonance, I, I don't know. But the the notion that the, that the S&P being down two consecutive years is something that happens so infrequently, right? And I'm looking at the S&P, it's still up 2% on the year. It was down 22% last year. Um, you know, I, I have scar tissue from 2001, 02, a protracted bear market, um, a protracted recession here. We haven't even had the recession yet. I mean, like like the recession that is very likely to come. So Danny, I'm just curious, um, just let, let, let's end it with this. Um, you know, what do you, what do you go from here? I know that you, you say this all the time, you know, it's a stock picker's market. You got to do your work on individual names, but man, if correlations are going to go higher, right. Um, and we're going to have another test of those October lows, which I believe we're going to have in the S and P, um, in the NASDAQ. I mean, there are not too many places to hide right now. And so I'm just curious your thoughts on, on that. Um, because, I, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know how you could be looking at this market the way I am and not think that we are going to retrust uh, those lows from October. People like to cherry pick, um, you know, events and that works to their narrative, bulls and bears. But I'll tell you what's also unprecedented is four consecutive seventy-five basis points hike by the Federal Reserve. That's never happened. And so I think when we talk about can you have two down years? Yes, you could have three down years. You could have you know a, a lot of stuff happening at the same time. So. You know, I kind of want to end this. It's, you know, happy St. Patrick's Day. March Madness is here. It's a lot of fun. Let's go out and have a good time. And I just think to Jim's point, and, and I can't reiterate this enough. The information on a lot of these things is right in front of you. Don't be willfully ignorant to them. Accept them. Move on. If you're long something, no one's telling you to go short it, but just be smart. And so there, again, I, I know I don't want to be a perma bear here, but I'm a realist in the sense of what I think is going to unfold here. And it's just not natural to have all these years of stimulus unfold. And you know what? I, I'm not going to be shocked when QE comes back. I mean, they got it to 8.4 trillion. If it goes to 10 and we try to inflate our way out of this, nothing would shock me at this point. But that being said, my biggest concern is if the market starts to question the credibility um, or financial stability of our country, of our government itself, then that's a whole nother issue. And that almost happened in 2008, Dan. And I pray that it doesn't and we get this thing under control. So. I like these type of markets because I think there's a lot of, again, you know, a lot of opportunity. So, well, we, we like it from a trading perspective. It gives someone like you, Jim, a lot of opportunities to kind of lay some shorts out. You kind of gave that example of how you're getting squeezed a little bit in February, but things are starting to play out. That was in the Silicon Valley. You want to give us a last word. A lot of our viewers, a lot of our listeners, um, they are not institutional um, investors. And so like, just, just from where you sit and, and kind of having seen, this is how we started this conversation, a lot of crises over the last few decades or so, kind of put some context um, about just kind of what, what, sort of, um, what sort of inning are we in in this sort of thing? You think it's closer to the end or closer to the beginning? Look, we, we, are, we are at elevated levels. I, I, my, my ability to pick stock market levels is, is you know, abysmal. But, but we are at elevated levels. We not only are at 19 times earnings right now, but we are at all-time high record profit margins. Um, and, and in some cases, some people believe our profit margin, corporate profit margins are 2x the norm. And so we, this has been an unprecedented time if you have held financial assets or real estate, uh, if you really have held assets. And... Uh, all I would just tell tell your listeners and viewers is just 
be mindful of the fact that that we are pretty far over on the bell curve of 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 historical returns over long periods of time profit margins all these great things that have happened that if you have held been in finance as we've been lucky to be or have held financial assets you know you've benefited that is not always the case i point out that from 66 to 82 when we saw the the resurgence of inflation and the fed trying to battle inflation over that time period not only were returns lower in real terms over that period but nominal gdp growth had one of its best 15 year periods ever uh, lots of people entered the workforce the middle class did great in the late 60s and 70s people forget that wall street lost 75 percent of its employees 75 percent of people that were employed in wall street in the mid to late 60s were not there when i got in the business in 1980 and, and the financialization of the economy got hollowed out and that could easily happen again and and so the real economy did just fine the financial economy did not and yeah. financial assets did not and so that can happen it's happened already once in my lifetime and i just caution everybody to, to understand the risks in their portfolio have some cash watch the leverage don't trade on margin you know do all the things that 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 people would tell you doing a conservative investment approach um would warrant that's what you should be doing right now and by the way if it doesn't work out and the markets continue to roar you'll be just fine yeah no that that's great advice um from both of you guys and i really um appreciate that and just so you know when you talk about the hollowing out of wall street we're going to be back on monday on market call at one o'clock it's just going to be me and in chat gpt4 um so um we're gonna uh give you guys the day off so now listen uh, jim chanos of chanos and co thank you so much danny moses as always you are our consummate partner here on our pods and everything like that so thanks guys have a great weekend have a great uh, afternoon into the close here today thanks